The idea of virtual reality has captivated humans for the longest time. After all, the ability to live a second life free of the physical obstacles that the real world presents is a dream worth falling into. But what if there was a bridge between the powers of virtual reality and its ability to impact the real world? That's the mission that Ahmad Khan, the CEO and co-founder of Iris Vision, set out to make possible. I have always believed that technology has tremendous potential of really changing the way we do things every day. And it's become really evident since the launch of the smartphones in our lives. And using the platform capability on the smartphone, so many of the things that we previously could not even think of have become possible. One way the impossible is becoming reality is through the work of Iris Vision, which uses the powers of virtual reality tools to enable people who have been declared legally blind the ability to see again. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ahmad discusses the power of Iris Vision software and provides case studies on how the product is working in the real world. Plus, he details the company's go-to-market strategy and why it was integral to develop multiple prototypes before making the product widely available. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. Today, joining us is CEO and co-founder of Iris Vision, Ahmad Khan. Ahmad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Albert. All right. Before we get started, we always allow all of our guests to explain the technology they work for. Tell me about Iris Vision. What is it? Because it's not just, you know, VR goggles. Like someone might see your website and be like, oh, that's VR goggles. It's not. Tell me what Iris Vision is. Iris Vision Live is a product that we have created that enables legally blind or otherwise um, visually impaired people to see again and function well in life. I'll give an example. Somebody who is uh, regularly sighted at some point in their life, you know, experiences an eye condition or trauma or something that leads to them not being able to recognize faces of people sitting across from them. Our device, once they put it on, really within a few seconds, a lot of people will tear up in a situation like this, but they will put it on, they'll start recognizing family members' faces and start reading and start to do things that they couldn't do without our technology. So we're going to dive into this because it's both a hardware and a software solution. But the way I describe it for someone who has never been to your site or is just listening for the first time, it does look like a set of VR goggles. It goes over your head. It's got a screen. The screen looks like it's suspended just a couple, uh, you know, maybe inches from the eyeball. What I don't understand, and this is where I want you to really explain it to our audience, how does a person even begin to see, or how does Iris Vision help correct that, you know, near blind uh, medical condition? All right, sure. So you're right. On the surface, you will see a virtual reality headset. You will, uh, if you, you know, uh, look closely, you will even identify a phone that's mounted in front of the virtual reality headset. So that's the hardware. There is a camera on the smartphone that's looking at the world and 
the camera captures a live video of, you know, what's in front of the person's eyes. And then our software processes that video feed and modifies it to a level that whatever remaining vision that person still has, sometimes I refer to it as whatever islands of vision that they have left, we channel the signal to those islands and those, you know, that, that remaining patches of vision they have, that picks up the signal enough to put the full picture together for the brain of that individual. So I'll try to break that down a little bit. Say I am a person who has macular degeneration. For me, it's, you know, most likely I will have a large blind spot in the middle of my vision. So I'm, I can see through the periphery, but I can't see anything in the center part of my vision. And that's where we have the finest vision. So when they put our headset on and the camera will see that there are three people sitting across from me, and then we will process that video feed and try to provide that signal into the periphery of my vision so that I will start recognizing the features and the expressions on the faces of people sitting across from me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And the reason why I'm, uh, you don't really want to dive into this you know, low vision or blindness doesn't affect my life or I don't have anyone, you know, it's not, it's not a close and dear problem, but I'd recognize the problem because I do have family members with corrective vision. And I want to start talking a little bit about what's medically happening, biologically happening. And then I want you to further describe what you're now changing with your technology because light comes in through the iris, right? The hole in your eye, right? It, it comes to basically like a point on the retina. And this signal is what allows the retina to then send signals to the brain to then say, what is it? What is this? But what, what I'm struggling with or failing to understand is if you say you have a medical condition that prevents you from seeing the middle, uh, the, like straight on, you're saying you're almost able to bend light around that condition into my eyeball. So in a way that my brain can process what it's seeing. Is that accurate? Close enough. Uh, let me try to explain it. First, let's understand that there are multiple eye conditions. We know of at least 16 different eye conditions that we have tested our technology with successfully. So there are different eye conditions and they leave you with different types of impairments. Some will have a central vision loss, others will have a peripheral vision loss, while certain others will have sort of like a patchwork of vision, depending on how the retina, where the image forms, has been impacted because of an eye condition, okay? Now, the way the technology helps a person, and just to you know, put this into context a little bit where we are, that there's more than 5.7 million Americans that are low vision, uh, according to an estimate by uh, scientists at Johns Hopkins University. There's about a million veterans that are considered low vision, and about 130,000 of them are considered legally blind. So it's a, it's a pretty significant problem and it has a profound effect on a person's life. Yeah. Uh, once the vision starts to go away, it's one thing when you're born with you know, an eye condition, it's another when your vision gets taken away in your 50s or 60s or 70s. So now to coming back to explaining how the technology is functioning, of the, the 16 conditions that I mentioned, let's take one for example. The leading cause in the United States of vision loss is age-related macular degeneration. So, um, Albert, as you explained, you know, through the pupil lights entering the eye and it's projecting an image on the back of your eye and that part of your eye is called the retina. 
about 5% of your retina, right where the fovea is, right where the, you know, directly, if you go straight through your eye, that area is called the fovea. In the macular region, the cells, you know, are not functioning anymore as a result of this macular degeneration. But the rest of your retina is still healthy and it's capable of, you know, handling the image. But the trouble is, the rest of the retina does not provide the same level of fine detail that you have in your macula. So there are techniques to enhance the capability of you know, another point on your retina. So what the brain does for a person, because it recognizes the macula is not providing that level of fine detail anymore, it picks another spot on your retina. We call it a preferred retinal locus or PRL. And that starts acting like your macula, basically. So, but the trouble is that it does not have fine definition. So, but if you use magnification, light adjustment, contrast adjustment, by using various uh, manipulations of the image, you can enable the PRL to start seeing enough details or start passing enough information to the brain. So you start getting the picture in front of you. Now, this is fascinating. Your background, what is your background? Uh, what did you study, for example? Because I know you started a company previously because I want to lead up and kind of guide our users through what your experiences were. Because this is, to me, you know, you're, because you're solving an actual medical problem with technology, it's like you're part doctor, part developer, part, uh, you know, hardware engineer. Uh, and so I want to <laughs> audience to understand what your background is and what did you study? What were you interested in uh, prior to Iris Vision? So um, I would say I'm a student of science. I'm not a physician by training. I'm an engineer by training. And, uh, I've, you know, I've done uh, a lot of projects uh, that are technology-based. The company that I started before this, I went through many cycles of product development with uh, different types of concepts, you know, solving various different digital challenges, I would say. But once I understood the need that exists in this in this area and, and the impact that it can have, the life-changing impact that it can have on a person's life, I just made it my life's mission. So I, for, for the last several years, I've been working with a, a wonderful team that I have in developing this technology with my engineering background. And we have an amazing team of scientists and physicians uh, that guide us uh, with the understanding of you know, the field of vision itself, while the engineering team and the user experience team takes that and turns it into a product that ultimately helps a person see. Gotcha. And if I'm following you on LinkedIn, right now I see that you are the founder of Citrus Bits. So it looks like that's the company you started. And then it looks like, it sounds like you focus more of your attention now on Iris Vision since its inception. And I wanted to ask you, what was it, or was there any particular moment, or what were some of the things that you were able to maybe engineer or develop over your time at Citrus Bits that led you even to know that you could potentially solve this problem? Because this is one of those things where I feel like if you're not looking for the solution, why would you ever find it? So did you serendipitously come across this capability? Or how did this happen where you you know, uncovered or unlocked an ability to provide vision to people with, um, you know, these me eye med vision medical conditions. Yeah, Albert, I have always believed that technology has tremendous potential of, you know, really changing the way we do things every day. And it's become really evident, especially, you know, since the launch of the smartphones in our lives. 
And using the platform capability on the smartphone, so many of the things that we previously could not even think of have become possible, uh, right? Like, like the whole Uber industry, et cetera. So through my experiences in, in building different uh, applications in which people became more productive with the use of technology and the use of technology that also makes it possible of people of different ages to be able to you know, enjoy content that's now streaming. So when I met my co-founder, Dr. Frank Werblin, who's a neuroscientist at UC Berkeley, who uh, came up with this concept and we had that initial conversation that could we use the technology development from recent times to try to solve this problem? Having that background of using technology for performing so many different functions was, uh, it was important as Frank described to me what we will need to do with the virtual reality headset and with a phone and how we will create this experience that will lead to a person putting on what sometimes people refer to as our goggles and then be able to see again. So, you know, that, that, that background helped me in understanding the capabilities of technology with the help of a, you know, award-winning vision scientist who understood the visual process. Together, we, we had this, um, quote, vision for building out this product. Now oh, that's, that's fascinating. So let me ask you a question. How, how did you uh, meet your, the, the scientist, your co-founder? How did you meet him? How, or is that how the conversation started where he brought to you like, hey, this is a problem I think you can solve with technology? Or did you know him from a pre previous work or a previous relationship? Serendipity, I think, <laughs> plays a part in some of this. I met with Frank because Frank was determined that, you know, he had spent, you know, more than 30 years in, in developing different types of technologies that would help restore the vision of a person. And the challenge is some of the previous methods that the scientists worked on were much more invasive and not as effective in all of the cases. Plus, because of uh, the invasive nature of the procedures of, you know, planting a chip in the person's eye and doing all of that, it was also cost prohibitive that kept it from getting broader uh, adoption. So, you know, when we had this conversation, uh, we realized that something has now become possible that was never possible before. Virtual reality headsets were available and the smartphone has reached this milestone where the screen resolution, the power of the camera, all of that is just enough for us to build this technology to, you know, instead of starting from scratch, we are able to leverage a lot of the pieces that have now become available. So the meeting uh, between Frank and I and the review of, you know, what's available already that we can leverage enabled all of this conversation. And, and the story continues, Albert, because after that I met with, you know, some, some, some individuals I felt who enable the, the creation of our technology. You know, one of my mentors and investors in the company is somebody who has spent his entire lifetime solving various health-related issues through investments and support. And I think it was a series of events from coming up with the idea to finding the technology and meeting the right people that enabled the creation of this entire platform. And now we have thousands of people around the world using our technology every day to, to live better and 
enjoy a much better quality of life. So I want to walk through that first early stages because, you know, obviously no one hits it out of the park their first, first time. So you're engineering and working with preeminent, you know, vision scientists to figure out and figure out exactly how to do this. And one of the things that my mind is trying to go walk back in that time that I personally get stumbled by is this idea of QA. Because certainly you built this application or you built the software, but there's really only one way to QA it, I think, is you need someone with low vision to actually see it. So how did you guys know you were even about to solve the problem? Did you have people that were with you that had the medical condition you were trying to solve that you constantly like, hey, put this on, what do you see? Put this on, what do you see? I want to hear and understand how you started to come up with a solution to solve this problem. Oh, I'm certainly happy to talk about that. So we started by building a prototype and knowing what we knew about what to compensate for and then implementing a rudimentary version of the software together. We had a proof of concept and we wanted to try this. So I remember Frank at the time um, had a neighbor in the Marin area, in the Bay Area, a lady uh, who used to sing in the choir and was, um, you know, lost vision and was devastated because of the vision loss. So Frank took our prototype, you know, to this lady. And I think she was probably one of the first people who tried our headset and she was blown away. I, I still remember watching, you know, because we were making a videotaping this on a smartphone. And the reaction was something, Albert, that just changed my life forever uh, on, on how all of a sudden, you know, the colors, she starts recognizing things, things that she thought she would never do. So, and then that was our first proof actually working. Yep. And then we knew we had to go back to work and we have to refine this to a level where we can think about all of the other factors that were crucial for turning that prototype into a product. And that in itself is a journey. And I'll be happy to talk to you about further what steps we took to take something that we knew was going to help people like her, well, like this lady uh, and others around the world to start using our technology. No, let's talk about it. So now you have a prototype. You have one person who now knows this works. Now the journey begins, or maybe the journey's never over, but like the next step begins where you have a working prototype, you have a use case, maybe you've got a couple more use cases. How do you begin to refine and scale out your business? Talk, walk me through what that looked like at Iris, Iris Vision when you were really starting to hunker down and saying, okay, we could, we're going to mass produce or get partners to build these, these vision goggles for us so that we can help people with, that are visually impaired. Certainly. So we, after that initial test, you can imagine a lot of energy and like, we were going to do this. So fortunately, just around that time, we had also applied for a grant from the National Eye Institute, which is part of NIH. And just around the same time when we got our first proof of concept of the technology doing the, you know, solving the problem at a basic level, we were awarded a grant uh, by NIH uh, that not only provided us funding for doing additional R&D work on our technology, but also paired us up with our friends at Johns Hopkins University. So on one side, we were going to build the technology further. And on the other side, the scientists and physicians at Johns Hopkins University were going to 
start a study including more than 30 different patients with various different eye conditions, varying level of vision loss to try to use our technology and see how effective is it in helping them do the activities of daily living. So um, we went through several uh, iterations of the you know, product the user interface while working with the Hopkins team uh, and developing the technology further. That enabled us to go from a prototype stage to a stage where we felt we had tested the product across, I can't remember the exact number, but I think we probably had at least seven or eight different eye conditions included in that patient group. Fine-tuning the user experience, and then thinking about what else do we need to turn this into a product. So one of the great benefits of working with the Johns Hopkins team, Albert, was that the validation process was providing a lot of confidence, not just to us, but also to the commercialization efforts that we had already launched at that time. For people to see that this is not a one-off hit for just one person, it actually works for a broad range of eye conditions and various different levels of vision loss. And not only that, another very, very important factor that led to the success of our product was that unlike all of the traditional technology or devices that were available, this was uh, accepted as like a universal system for performing various different types of tasks. So if you follow me a little bit here, depending on what type of vision loss I have and what my goals are, my vision rehabilitation therapist would advise me to use different sets of products, like a magnifying glass or a desktop-based computer for doing more extensive reading, and then a handheld magnifier for doing this and uh, bioptics like glasses with like telescopes mounted on them for seeing at distance. What Iris Vision did was that it combined all of those products and it made it a portable system that you could bring with you. You could not only use it inside the house, you could also use it outside the house, you could go shopping with it. So we went through these cycles of trying out the technology, working with the patients at Johns Hopkins and enabling all of the necessary user interface changes that made the device practical to use in all of these scenarios. So I want you to carry, you know, because you told me separately, but I definitely want to, you know, share with our audience. You talked about how the vision has unlocked some of the simple things that we take for granted and how important these simple things are uh, for the visually impaired, especially in a time of pandemic. Uh, you talked and shared some ideas about, you know, being able to read medication and isolation because people susceptible to vision loss at this, you know, the, the diseases you're talking about or medical conditions you're talking about tend to be older and we are in a time of pandemic. And so they're more isolated. Tell me about some of these stories you hear from your customers, from the users of your product of what they're now unlocking. What are they able to do? How are they able to assert their independence in ways that maybe they couldn't before your, um, before they had an iris vision set? Yeah, happy to. Let's break down, um, you know, the, the benefits of the product for people in different age groups. Okay, I'm going to start with the children, for example. I know of dozens of stories, but let me talk about this one young man from Oakland. His name is James. James had regular vision until, um, 
you know, one day his parents realized that he was, you know, not seeing things properly and they, he needed further assistance. And the challenge at that point, once you realize your child is unable to read properly is, you know, they're going through that development phase that's critical, that's going to have an impact on the rest of their life. And if your information intake is now going to be restricted to one-fifth or one-eighth of a regularly cited kid's capability, you know, you're going to have a severe disadvantage to be able to function later on in life uh, because you're not going to be able to take that much information that, you know, all of the regularly cited kids are doing. So providing intervention like Iris Vision for a child like James at the right time is crucial because you then enable James to go to school and read at like five times, 10 times the speed that he would uh, without the Iris Vision Live system. So that has a life-changing impact on a kid's life when you um, provide them the ability to see and function once again. Very important for their confidence and overall development beyond the ability to see. Reading, you know, watching YouTube, playing video games, to be able to do all the things that all the other kids do. One of my other favorite stories among, you know, the children who use Iris Vision is um, Blair up in Boston, or sorry, New York area. My son, who is, you know, the same age as Blair, you know, I see him playing Roblox and, you know, this game and that game. And that's how kids socialize these days. Take away the video games and the social elements, and you have really now restricted a lot of the activities that all the other kids are performing. So Blair uses Iris Vision to play video games with his brothers. And, uh, you know, he uses Iris Vision to bring the unit to his school, to his classroom, so he can also see the whiteboard just like everybody else in class. Because without it, he would have to spend extra time after classroom trying to process the content that he couldn't see sitting in the class. So these are real life examples for people who are younger, who want to learn, who want to fit in and do all the activities that their peers are doing at that age. That's amazing stuff because you're exactly right. My, uh, my son is, I have a son that's approximately 12 years old. I have an eight year old as well. And yeah, they, they absolutely, that is their principal form of social interaction right now in the time of COVID, especially because my, you know, like for example, soccer league got canceled or hockey league got canceled. So. Yeah, there's no other way to communicate with another person their age except for these video games. Right, Albert, I love seeing these pictures, text messages I will receive from Blair's dad. Um, You know, the father and son went out fishing and something as simple as just lining the fish hook, right? Oh, yeah. You and I will take that for granted, but guess what? No, that's a visual exercise. That's tiny. The fish fish hook's tiny and your vision's got to be sharp to do that, no doubt. So, you know, for basic things like that, or you want to sit back on the couch and enjoy a movie with your dad, you can't if you have low vision, unfortunately. You're going to have to sit up close to the TV and, you know, you're only able to see parts of it. But with Iris Vision, you can sit back with the family and enjoy the movie night. So let me talk about, you know, the next age group. Yeah. That's people who are in their, uh, you know, in their 40s and 50s, because the onset of vision loss can happen at any stage in life. Yes, the majority of the people who are currently living with vision loss happen to be over 60 and 70 year old, but there are a lot of people across the country and around the world who experience vision loss much earlier in life. So, you know, we have a school te- teacher 
who uses Iris Vision to be able to interact with her uh, with her students in class. In fact, several of the students pitched in to help her purchase an Iris Vision system too. You know, there are people who are going into work. We have somebody uh, in the DC area, um, you know, an, a government employee. He works regular eight hour days using the Iris Vision because he can see the computer just like you and I would and operate it. So it enables people who have loss of vision and there's, uh, there's high unemployment, you know, um, as you can probably guess, in this segment of population that has vision loss. So providing a universal device that lets you read and write and operate a computer can be the differentiator in having a job or not be able to perform, you know, the functions of the job. So, but, you know, the biggest segment of the population that is uh, affected by vision impairments um, are seniors. Now, this is a particularly challenging, I would say, thing here because, you know, younger individuals can adapt better. Uh, you know, they're more tech savvy, they're more open and they can just jump on and they're familiar with technology. But imagine now somebody, I'll, I'll give an example of um, uh, one of my favorite users of technology, Jimmy, uh, who's a veteran, um, you know, served the country, you know, reached his retirement age, realizes that uh, macular degeneration has taken his vision away. His wife is fighting cancer, so they take care of each other. Now, for him, it's, a, it's very different compared to you know, Blair or James that I mentioned before. For Jimmy, he has to learn the technology, and then he has to adapt his day-to-day -day activities now with wearing the goggles and operating around his house, um, you know, reading prescription labels, sitting down watching TV, looking at the bills, and are preparing a meal, it's things like that. So this becomes the device, you know, that's playing that very important role in enabling him to not only support himself and stay as independent as possible, but also help a family member uh, who is in need of care. So um, this becomes really a transformational technology in the life of a person like Jimmy. So these stories are amazing. And what I'm curious about is, you know, Iris Vision, what is the future in your mind for this product? Because you're already solving quite a bit of medical cases. I'm guessing, I mean, there's certainly, do you, you haven't covered them all. What other opportunities are there? What, how many medical cases, I guess, in conditions have you solved for and how many more are left to go? Yeah, great question. There's a lot more that the technology can do. So the company um, has been working on uh, expanding our platform to do, you know, some pretty amazing things. Well, one, to further uh, increase the capabilities of our headset so you can do even more things with it. For example, we enabled YouTube streaming into the headset. So you can not only see across the room if you want entertainment, and you, um, you, know, you just want to sit back, you can just talk to the system and say, Iris or OK Google, you know, play some funny cat videos for me. And videos will start streaming right into your headset and you can spend hours you know, enjoying that content. You know, keep the customer base in mind 
a lot of seniors, um, you know, one of the big problems they have is boredom. And you take somebody's vision away, and now they are struggling even more finding things to do. So the technology is helping them be more independent at the same time, also providing them some entertainment value. You can use voice commands, interact with the system. Uh, you can take pictures with it. You know, if you go out uh, with family or friends, you can capture memories all day, just like you and I do on our smartphone, except, you know, this segment cannot operate a standard smartphone. So we have enabled technology to do many of those functions for them, taking pictures, capturing videos, and um, watching, um, you know, going back and scrolling back on your memories and enjoying all of that. But beyond that, Albert, I want to share something uh, that we are very excited about doing. So think about the process of vision loss. It, it does not, for many people, it's, it's not a sudden onset that, you know, all of a sudden, one day your vision goes from uh, 2020 to 2200 or 20 over 400 level. For conditions like macular degeneration, glaucoma, diabetic retinopathy, these are progressive conditions and vision loss happens over time. And fortunately, there are treatments available if it's caught early that you're losing vision that uh, doctors can do to help slow down the process of vision loss and also save certain major events that take place that can completely take your vision away. What can we do? So let's, let's talk about Jimmy for a moment, right? So his process of vision loss probably started early on. You know, if there was a way for him to know that before he noticed it, there may have been a way for his physician to, you know, apply the right intervention and slowing down or uh, stopping the process of vision loss for him. But that's the case. It's happening to millions of people today, and they're unaware. By the time they notice a smudge in their eye, it's often too late because the damage has occurred. So Iris Vision, um, our company, started building vision assessments um, some time back that can track uh, how well is your vision performing day to day. And we can monitor this and we can flag um, any deterioration in your vision that might flag an intervention point. So our goal now is as an organization to help save people from having a vision loss or severe vision loss by monitoring their uh, you know, the condition that they are having that can eventually uh, lead to severe vision loss. And if we can capture that, uh, the change early on, we can alert them and we can alert their uh, eye care providers so they can take the necessary steps early on. So I'm, I'm pleased to announce that, you know, the company has already developed this platform. We're already testing it with some of our partners at Johns Hopkins at a number of clinics across the country, the New England College of Optometry, with uh, several clinics here in the Bay Area, at Stanford, we're gonna be launching it pretty soon, so that physicians will identify the patients who are at the highest risk of having vision loss. We will start their monitoring their vision condition and flag uh, the points where uh, some intervention can be offered uh, to these patients and save them from uh, the process of vision loss. No, that, that is amazing. So what are you envisioning? I'm a dad, I got kids. I buy a 
a set of goggles for myself just to what do tests daily um just to randomly take a look every now and then just do my own uh, you know maybe i check up almost is that what you're envisioning i think we're gonna go there too eventually we are starting off with the patient population that has already been flagged as high risk gotcha people who have diabetes are at risk of diabetic retinopathy which leads to loss of vision. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, it's a huge issue. It's one of the three leading causes of vision loss in the, in the United States, actually across the world. A person who might be in their 60s, they, they're still driving, but you know they, uh, the doctor is aware that they're at risk of AMD, age-related macular degeneration. So the doctor can then prescribe our monitoring system. So these individuals will have our monitors they also look like the virtual reality headsets. So what they will be asked to do is to a few times a week, just put on the goggles and spend five to 10 minutes on it. We will present them various different stimuli on the screen. They will respond to it. And in this process, we will assess how does their current state of vision compare to the week prior, the month prior. And as we observe changes um, deviating from the standard line, too much, we will be able to identify these and inform their eye care provider and them as well that, you know, something is not looking right. I mean, this is not the, um, or, or just alert the doctor so the doctor can review the data that we have generated and determine uh, the right course of action. No, I, I can see it. This is going to be something truly transformational if, the, you know, with leaders like yourself, others, anyone in the medical, anyone that accelerates, in my opinion, preventative medicine, that is a win in my book, right? Because I agree, solving the problem after it occurs, that's one thing, but preventing it from happening, that's another, or catching it early enough to be um, you know, medically diagnosed or medically repaired or however it works. I think that's that's transformational, man. Congratulations, big time. Thank you. And just to, you know, again, share with you the impact of, of what we are talking about here. I mentioned 5.7 million Americans are considered low vision, right? There are more than 30 million people yeah. who are at risk of having this type of vision loss. Wow. And it's a growing problem because, you know, it's a problem that affects, unfortunately, uh, the seniors population, particularly. Uh, and as people are living longer, many of these eye conditions, you know, are, are, are a growing problem. And so through this type of a monitoring uh, regimen, we'll be able to identify opportunities of uh, providing the treatment at the right time so that fewer people go through the process of vision loss and become part of that 5.7 that's expected to almost double. That size of the population is expected to double over the next 10 to 20 years. That's unbelievable. And in regards to like the size, well, you know, not only the size, but the rate of increase or the potential that's there. So definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard number to fathom, I would say, but I mean, this is why, so this is the best part about being a host on the show is hearing people solving these problems. And, and it, again, a lot of times people think all medical problems are going to be solved by, I don't know, medical engineers, but it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes technologists can be part of the solution as well. Oh yeah, we have our role to play, uh, <laughs> definitely. And I, I think the lines blur sometimes. Um, I love learning about you know, uh, the visual process overall, I, I think I find it fascinating. And we've been very lucky to have, you know, some of the cream of the crop experts from the Stanford Eye Institute, experts from Johns Hopkins, and, um, you know, so many other eye care 
physicians and scientists that we work with um, that inform us on what is needed, what the challenges are. And then as technologists, we can take all of that and turn it around and go through the process of validation. And, you know, that's that's how the magic magic happens. Excellent. Now, Ahmad, it's time. Do you know what time it's for? <laughs> what, what time? It is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Ahmad, this is where we ask you rapid fire questions to get to know you a little bit better away from <laughs> Iris Vision. Are you ready? All right. I think I am. All right. So do you game with your kids? I do. What's your favorite game to play? Well, most recently, we've been playing Among Us. Um, I, I do enjoy playing Little Big Planet on the PlayStation 2. Wait, sorry, what was the title again? Little uh, Big Planet. Little Big Planet. What's that game about? It's a story mode type of a game where the three of us are able to uh, solve, uh, go through a number of challenges and sort of compete each other, uh, compete against each other uh, in a friendly way. Awesome. Besides gaming, what else do you do for fun? Uh, we have a puppy that we got at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think that's been, uh, that's been one of the best things that have happened in 2020. You and I were chatting about all of the <laughs> not so great things that happened this year. But our, our, our dog, Kobe, he's a golden uh, doodle, has, I think, has been a game changer in our household, has kept us busy while you know, kids were locked out of the schools and we were all stuck at home. Uh, been having a lot of fun training and playing with him. I'm not sure if our official mascot Toasty is a Labradoodle or a Golden Doodle, but yes, we're familiar with the Doodle crossbreeds. That is awesome. What is one hobby that you've picked up during 2020? That's a tough question to answer. I will say that, and a boring one to probably in, in response, but for myself and my team, when the pandemic hit, we realized that we not only had an opportunity, but a responsibility you know, to our patients and our customers. Uh, if you think about it, um, Albert seniors uh, who are at highest risk got you know, sort of locked down in their household. Yep. So they were unable to go out and family members who usually would come in and help couldn't help. So our team really stepped up their game. And we knew that our ability to ship a system to somebody's house, get them onboarded entirely touchlessly will be a game changer for many of these individuals who are unfortunately you know, left without much help. The focus was on the pandemic. The focus was on you know, more um, uh, life-threatening conditions like, uh, you know, heart attacks and whatnot. But this segment of population was getting neglected. So we um, doubled down and we have been helping throughout this pandemic, many, many people shipping out units all over the country without exposing them to the risk of coming into a store or a clinic for assessment and whatnot. We help them get onboarded entirely remotely and start to do the things that they really need to be doing, you know, preparing food or taking medication or just watching TV, et cetera. So that has taken up most of the 2020 for not just myself, but most of my team um, working on this, expanding this, the capability of our platform. Uh, and that's become my hobby this year. Listen, you make me feel bad about myself. I Not only did I not pick up any new hobbies, here you are developing change, transforming the world for multiple people. Man, you make me feel bad. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. We definitely need people just like yourself doing that. 
And you know, I do have a question for you. You are a CEO, you are a tech leader, and you're currently, it looks like you reside over two companies. What would be your advice to someone who is looking to start their own thing? I think the most important thing is to do something that you're passionate for. That just changes the game. Find your passion and follow that. And I think money and funding and team, everything else comes after that. For me, it was a turning point when I realized that with Frank, I'll be able to build this technology. I, I, was, I always wanted to build something that would have a high impact on, on people's lives. And this has been one of those things for me. So as a result, because I was so passionate, people around me, um, I think, noticed that and it attracted them towards the cause whether it was investors like, you know, Brooke Byers, who helped create the Stanford Eye Institute, uh, he saw that, that it's a meaningful thing. And he saw how passionate I was. He backed us up. And as we started building our team, that's one thing that I keep hearing that, you know, that's, it's the passion people see and that enables success. There it is. Ahmad Khan, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for sharing your vision for Iris Vision and how you're helping people around the world see better. Thank you for having me on the show, Albert. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.